This could be for you. Exclamation point. Welcome everyone to another extravagant episode of Steve Made a Game Show. I'm your host, Steve, of the aforementioned Steve Made a Game Show, and today I'm joined by Matt. Matt, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to have you on. Uh, Matt, you and I go back as trivia champions in the restaurant setting, and we've actually been invited to a national contest, did we not? We did. We came in second place that day, but I guess we we were a hidden gem amongst the crowd, and she really liked what we had to offer, and that is, this is true. Right. We had the measurables. You know, we, we looked good in our workout in the combine. We may not have necessarily had the most dazzling score that day, but something in our eyes. Maybe a Jordan love of a pick, if you will. Interesting. Interesting idea. Uh, I think you've now set yourself up with a certain level of expectations here for the show. You're now part of a podcast game show. It's going to be three rounds. We'll get into how those rounds work really quick. But first, is there any game shows that you wish you saw more on TV these days? Jeopardy. And I've watched a ton of it. Kind of wish I watched more of it because I know my grandma was really into it. My parents are really into it. But I wasn't committed enough as a fan. I watched every time I could when it was on. And it was a really good show that was probably underappreciated on my part growing up. We're an emphatically pro-Jeopardy podcast here at Smags, so that's a great answer. And I think that though you may not have watched it in your youth, you're coming into your own as a you know mature man, promising future ahead of you. This is a great time for you to pick up Jeopardy as a nightly habit. I, I look forward to doing that. I think kind of the, the competition they brought at the beginning of 2020 really reignited my interest. Yeah, yeah, the greatest of all time. Smags is not at a level where we're ready to crown the greatest of all time, but folks, maybe we're listening to him right now. We'll find out today on this episode in which we're going to begin in the category round. As usual, we've got three categories for Matt curated specifically to his interests. They range from 50 to 150 to 250 points. We'll then move on to round two. That's the persuasion round in which I'm going to give Matt a topic. He'll have to then formulate a thesis, an argument, and convince you and I why his position is the right position and he'll be awarded points based on how convincing he is. And then round three, is going to be the lightning round. Uh, he's going to get another prompt question, and I want him to answer as many instances of that question as he can in 45 seconds. So, Matt, are you ready to rock? I am. I don't know if this is a thing yet, but I'm ready for the smags down. Smags down time. Here we go in the category round. Your categories are Brody Cafeteria Destinations, 2010 MSU Football Spartans, and State Capitals. All right. Let's start with uh, Brody Cafe for 50 Going at 50, what was the name of the popular station that featured menu options that had originated from around the globe, and they were often prepared using a walk? That's W-O-K, a walk. Pangea. Walking yourself to 50 points with Pangea. That is correct. <laughs> it's just right there in the center when you entered Brody Calf, greeting you and, and kind of opening the window of all the possibilities in front of you. Yes, yeah, it was right, at least right to our left. I didn't use that as much as I should, also underappreciated. It's an omelet station in the morning. Mm, just a delicious breakfast around the globe. Where to next, Matt? Uh, let's go same category, 150. All right, we're heating up here at Brody Cafeteria, 150. What was the name of this much less popular station that featured vegetarian-friendly dishes for students? Veg Out. That's correct. Veg Out for 150. 
you know your Brody cafeteria. Yeah, and the thing is, I never went there. That that was Chad's spot. So you were, you got zero total visits to the veg out station. And 150 points on this question. Yeah, observant eater you were back in those days. <laughs> Would you like to try and sweep the Brody category? Let's do it, Steve. Okay, and then just to back up for the listeners that are seeing Matt just accumulate points as if he was a young co-ed student putting various meals on his plates. Uh, Brody Cafeteria was a big cafeteria at Michigan State, and you had your unlimited meal plan. You could load up on all these different options, and they specifically named the stations based on what cuisine they offered. So let's see if you can get this last one. It's for the most points. I'm not sure if you'll get the name. What was the name of this station designed to provide Southwestern cuisine, including burritos or tacos? I want to say it was cayenne something, like the pepper. It's going with cayenne? Yep. It was cayenne's. It was a possessive noun, but we're going to give you the points for it because you got cayenne snatched out of thin air. Uh, and I had to think back to Brody's Rivaling Cafe, at least back in the day. So I'm going to compare it to Snifi, but we know which came out on top. And I was figuring whether cayenne was at one of the two there. And good guess on my part, I guess. <laughs> A fantastic guess. And then you contrast that with Case Cafeteria, which had the Case Connection. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you could find your nachos, your Southwest cuisine. Yeah, but not in fall of 2011. No, it was retired. And uh, I think Brimstone was maybe one of the new stations that they opened at Case. And they, yeah, they got a lot there. I think they also started doing a crepe station for the mid-afternoon crowd. Broad topics are covered here on Smags. <laughs> For all of our listeners. So, Matt, you swept your first category. Where do you want to go next? 2010 MSU football Spartans or state capitals? Uh, I'll go with the former to Michigan State Spartans. Okay, so our 2010 MSU state Spartans. Oh, yeah. Would you like to go for 50, 150, or 250? Uh, we'll do 50. Starting off at 50, so 2010. If you recall, we saw Charlie Gant record that game-winning touchdown reception using the Little Giants trick play against Notre Dame. However, can you name one other tight end that was on our roster that season beside Charlie Gant? Sokol? Not Matt Sokol. We've got Brian Linthicum. Yeah, that wasn't a good guess. You know, uh, maybe you're more of a cafeteria guy. <laughs> maybe not. We'll find out. Would you like to go in that same category for 150, or do you want to move elsewhere? Let's go 150. Okay. In an era famous for trick plays, we had one that we used that season named Mousetrap. Now, can you tell me what opponent did we use the mousetrap play, and can you describe what the mousetrap play was? Uh, it was at Northwestern, and it was a fake punt. A fake punt run, pass? Pass. Fake punt pass. Yep, we'll give you all those points. It was a comeback win, too. Yeah, well, we had quite a few close ones there uh, that against opponents that just had no business, including the home closure against Purdue, or the senior day, at least. That was a decidedly close game that year, but both ended in wins. Even Penn State to end the season on the road. Closer than it should have been, but it was a win. So you won yourself 150 points. Uh, you ready to go for 250? Let's do it. So homecoming 2010 saw someone famous visit Spartan Stadium as the Grand Marshal of the homecoming parade, and that person high-fived loyal fans that happened to be seated in the first row of the student section. Can you recall who was MSU's opponent that Saturday afternoon for the homecoming game, and then who was that Grand Marshal celebrity? Home against Illinois and Javon Ringer showed up. And I think Gerard Butler was there as well. Damn, that is even some bonus knowledge for the folks out there. Uh, Javon Ringer is maybe less of a celebrity for the non-East Lansing individual. However, Gerard Butler, world-famous actor, he, uh, he high-fived two lucky fans that happened to be right there in the front row. Uh, a lot of memories happened in the front row. A lot of memories, a lot of Spartan cheers, a lot of hoo-hoo-hoo. 
you just won yourself 250. You are in the driver's seat right now, Matt, and you've got state capitals waiting for you. How much money do you want to go next? Uh, we'll go 50. Okay, starting at 50. This city, which is the capital of Oregon, shares a common name with 25 other cities in the USA. Salem. Salem, Oregon, 50 points. Noted in that question, I asked you, this city, which is the capital of Oregon? So if you were just listening from an audio-only standpoint, which the podcast typically is, you know, it could have been which, the uh, W-H-I-C-H, which is pronoun determiner, or it could have been the noun, which, you know, witchcraft, Salem, Massachusetts. Not a capital. Oh, no. Going for 150 next? Let's do 150. Okay. I'm going to have to set a clock here, Matt. We've got a timed question in this category for you. In 50 seconds, which is the time for 50 states, name for me the number of state capitals that end in the word city and tell me what cities those are. Begin. Oklahoma City, that's Oklahoma. Carson City, which is Nevada. Salt Lake City, which is Utah. 10 seconds. Jefferson City, Missouri. Under the clock, you made it. Wow. That, that was a 150? Are you kidding me? Just 150 for you. But you, you earned 150. I, I did. Wow. You kind of thought about it, but it paid right off for you. I had to go through the list. Well, you're not looking at a list, are you? It's a mental list. It's fascinating the way your mind works. The Mentalist, CBS Tuesdays. Here we go for the last one, 250. In terms of population specifically this downtown city, not the metropolitan area. So just to step back, because I don't want you to get confused with all the words going on here. So we're speaking about the downtown city, the capital city, not the surrounding metro area. At a population level, this is the most populous capital city that is not the most populated city within that state. I'll go with Lansing, Michigan. It is not Lansing, Michigan. Uh, a very fair guess, but what we were looking for was Austin, Texas. Really? So it has the most population of all the other capitals that is not the number one most populated city. So I would guess Houston's probably the most populated city in Texas, and we can confirm that for listeners right now. See, that, that's what I thought, because thought, I thought Austin would be more populated than Houston. It is Houston, yeah. Houston, in, in a real-time fact check, is the most populated city. But no need to feel discouraged, Matt. You had a phenomenal category round. You end with 1,050 points, stepping away from round one. Good enough. (laughs) Good enough, some might say. Before we go on to the persuasion round, we're going to take a brief second to hear these words. The following skit is for comedic purposes only and does not reflect a sponsorship of the discussed product. The views and opinions expressed by this podcast are not endorsed by the following company. This is not a paid advertisement. You know, if you're craving fruit on the go and you don't want your fruit to spoil in your pocket, passenger seat of your car, backpack pocket, you want something compact, you're going to want to go with Sunmade California Sun-Dried Raisins. Little red box. Right there on the logo of the box, it says Timeless and Trusted. And it's so true, uh, they're timeless almost by definition because they can last for a very long period of time before they go bad. They're dried grapes, so you've got you know some fiber you're injecting in your diet. Granted, they're not vitamin rich, but they are gonna give you that little zing that is gonna prevent you from going to you know, a bag of chips, pork rinds, caramel corn. Instead, have yourself a handful of California's own sun-dried raisins. Now, really distinct, do not pick up craisins, those cranberry raisin hybrids, hybrid animals. It's like a liger. 
This is a GMO-free product. I'm gonna recommend Sunmade California Sun-Dried Raisins. And even if California splits off into five more states, I guarantee these will still be delicious. All right, and we're back, and we're about to begin the persuasion round. So today, Matt, your prompt is going to be a subject that's near and dear to, to my heart, to your heart. To those of us that are in the know, it's going to be a natural conversation, but there's some, a lot of us who aren't in the know. So I want you to introduce the, the audience, especially speaking to someone who's never played it, the video game for the, the Nintendo GameCube, Mario Superstar Baseball. So a little bit of background, this came out in the mid-2000s on the GameCube. It's all your favorite Mario characters, as well as many, many more Mario characters that you maybe weren't even aware of their existence. They all come together. You can play baseball. You can draft your teams. Um, There's some Mario Nintendo twists to the game, but it's still a really good core baseball game. And uh, Matt, I want you to explain to these people why it is the definitive video game that someone should play. Well, I guess starting vague, the question is, what are we missing now that we're all huddled inside? What what are we missing because this whole coronavirus pandemic, is, and it's sports, that, that really just cannot be replaced. However, we can get close. And I know when, kind of what you mentioned with the introduction of Mario Baseball for the Nintendo GameCube, it's got a good mix of characters. For people who are baseball fans or just even sports fans, and you can kind of appreciate the strategy to the game thinking it's a thinking man sport, it's a chess match, that's all there for you. Then obviously there are side games on there to side. There's some silliness. There are some, you know, different baseball courses. You got the regular Mario Sunshine Stadium, which is your standard day baseball venue. You got Bowser's Castle. You got Princess Peach's Garden. You got the whole Donkey Kong Jungle. You got a whole array of options that kind of just add twists onto the game. And so that's kind of what's there for the people who appreciate the sport and people who are just looking for a little bit of a twist. And kind of what you were mentioning about the characters there, this is, and and with the system, I mean, we have the original Nintendo characters, we got the original Mario Luigi there, Donkey Kong, and then we got some of the new ones, kind of like from uh, Mario Sunshine. You got some of the the Piantas, the Nokis, uh, Petey Piranha, some of these newer characters that kind of developed. So you got this throwback kind of feel for it. I mean, it's a game that came out in the early 2000s, but and with all the throwback characters, and then you got some new ones. So that kind of adds some fun and value to the game. It's a rich experience, right? Out of the box, you know, you're not given a, a, just a minimal lineup, one stadium, and expected to play through and unlock everybody. Kind of right away, the game says, welcome to the game. Try these people out. And they're not just all interchangeable with each other. So to kind of your point with the strategy, you know, when you're picking your lineup, you've got to be very intentional that you don't overload your team with too many of the same characters or players that don't complement their each other's skill sets. Just to start off the game, you get these different teams. Like Princess Peach has a team, Donkey Kong, Bowser, Wario, Mario. All those have their own team. However, you know, some of them have horrible chemistry with each other. For example, like Boo is a character, has horrible chemistry with Luigi. Are you going to play them in second and short as being your middle infielders? No. Are you going to have Mario playing third while you have Bowser at first? No. They have horrible chemistry. It's going to throw off, you know, the timing of the throw, but then there are players that are on different teams that work well with each other. Like it may be up the middle infield. You maybe have Mario and Princess Peach. They work together. The ball comes out quicker. You can get those easy four, six, three double plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, again, it's not, it's not even just the strategy. It's who's going to be in your lineup for the, the order of hitting. You know, you, the chemistry plays a big role into that. And then obviously you factor in speed. Not every player has the same speed. Not player have the same bat. Not every player has the same power. And obviously you have the outfield to play too. Where, Who's going to play where? Who has a stronger arm? 
Some of them have a special speed like Monty Mole. They can zip around. Maybe you want them at second base. You have the, the Piantas where literally the only benefit to them is a quote-unquote laser arm. They can just get the ball from the corner of right field to the catcher within a second. So there's a lot of thinking about who you want and where. It matters. And obviously you don't really have a bullpen either. It's only those nine. So if you're going to have Waluigi being your starting pitcher, which I would always recommend, who's going to be your backup? Uh, you gotta find, and there's some you know gems there that aren't the star main characters like Wario, Waluigi, Mario, Luigi, players like Petey Piranha. They can pitch. You know, it's it's all about finding those. And then of course uh, another big thing is their specialties. You know, some Mario has like a fastball that goes really really fast, and when he he hits it, it's mm-hmm. the ball goes on fire. You know, the, Yoshi it turns into an egg that bounces everywhere. That even if it hits in the infield first and then goes past the foul line, that, that's still fair. Some of those rules don't apply. It's kind of the wackiness and kind of the things, you know, as my friend Rory would say, expect the unexpected. You know, it's there. there's that element in there as well. Right. It's going to be a new wrinkle every single game, depending on how that roster is put together with their chemistry or with their power-ups, how your opponent is putting them in the pieces, just like you mentioned. Maybe you've got Diddy Kong in the infield because his clamber ability can suck up the ground balls, but maybe you actually put him in left field because you don't want a ball to drop in and and turn from an easy out to a double if you just had the wrong guy out there. Another big thing is player development. So when we talk about playing out of the box, sure, you can play with a lot of these characters. However, in the single player mode, you're presented with a bunch of different challenges that are very unique, and it's not just beat this opponent, win this game by one run. Oftentimes, it's something like drop a suicide squeeze bunt, hit a grand slam, situational tasks. And as you're... That right there, yes. Situational challenges, exactly. And so then the player, they earn a star for each time they get one of these tasks, but you got to get all the stars for you to actually upgrade your character. Yep. And so then when you're playing with your friends, then you can have certain characters that are star players and they're upgraded, you know? And I think what you just said, the situational areas of the game, when you said just a suicide squeeze, the big thing I love about this game is that bunting matters. If you can't bunt, you are really cutting off a whole part of the field there for you to be able to use. You're not threatening. I mean, obviously you have like a bunt and run, a hit and run. All these options are on the table. But if you can't successfully lay down a bunt on command with players like Yoshi, you know, you're cutting yourself off right now. You're not giving yourself the best chance to win. I'm a big believer in small ball and even just for like games like MLB The Show, bunting actually matters in this and it is an art that you need to be able to lay it down. It's, I mean, not many baseball games, I think very few. I can't even really think of anything off the top of my head where, you know, a successful bunt is not a lost art form. I'm players that are just assigned a number, like 80 overall bunting, 90 contacts, 84 power. No, that's, you have to be able to lay down a bunt. Right. It's, it's about how you put the bat on the ball. And then it's also the dash functionality. The faster you can slam the B button with your thumb, yep. you know, you might have a, a runner and, and certain players will run faster when they're dashing versus others. Also, are they a star? If, they, if you've unlocked their star capabilities, now they're going to hit the ball farther. They're going to run faster. They're going to throw harder. And so when you're playing against someone, maybe some players are stars, maybe some aren't. And so you've got this mix of, you know, I really got to get this out here on Noki because Noki is a star because then you've got Koopa Troopa afterwards and he's not a star. So I don't, I'm feeling less threatened by him. And then looking who's playing the corners too. This you might have an idiot who has Wario sitting on third base. <laughs> you can lay that down the line. And then the, the goal, who's on first? What if this guy's playing Mario at third, but Bowser's at first? The throw is going to be off. 
inevitably. Or if he has King Boo at first, and then he's got Luigi at third. There's going to be some idiot that does that. That just says, well, I just want all the power, and I need this some technique. I'll put him on that side of the infield. And then they just don't realize that the players hate each other. Um, maybe not literally, but like obviously they just don't have the chemistry. And so when you lay down that butt, that's going to screw everything off. The ball goes into the bleachers, and now Yoshi's standing on second because he laid down a bunt. You actually are putting pressure on the other team. And not to mention, stamina is another question, too. You know, pitchers have different stamina levels. And as I mentioned earlier, you don't get a bullpen. You got the nine that are there. So if you if you have Waluigi there and your next best pitcher is Birdo or <laughs> Noki, you're up a crick without a paddle. Indeed easy to pick up but difficult to master i think that's the beauty of the game is that it's a game you can keep going back to you can improve and never really feel like you've fully improved because there's always room for improvement however let's just maybe take a step to the next step because someone might always think that more is always better and they might see that a few years after this game mario superstar baseball came out we were looking at mario super sluggers on the wii so you've got a sequel to this game that's on a more powerful console it has a bigger roster. You've got characters like Critter, King K. Rule, Blooper, you know, more stadiums. Seemingly, more is better, right? You would think, and I played it, and don't get me wrong, it's fun, but all the strategy is just completely cut out. And essentially, honestly, it's probably Wii Baseball on steroids. That's what it is. As you know, with Wii Baseball, you have some variations with pitches you can throw, but you're standing there and you're, you're swinging at it figuratively. Maybe that's more fun. I, I don't know. To me, it's as a baseball player, that's not more fun because it's not like I'm actually swinging a baseball bat. It's not like that. You, you can't really replicate that. So I, I really don't appreciate the attempt that much. And, but, you know, you do get these fun stadiums. There are more characters. Uh, you do have more options to play. Like you can go play at Luigi's or like some graveyard at night. That's kind of fun. The thing is, strategy is not involved in the game at all. They say that there's a chemistry aspect to it. There is you just can't replicate that strategy when now it's motion-based. You just don't have that anymore. It's a lot easier to hit home runs. And, and to me, I really – you miss that strategy part of it. I mean, the game, game is fun. Don't get me wrong. The response to it, I mean, it, it's a sequel, and I think we all know sequels are not always better. And this is a, just a prime example of that, that – like you said, it, it can be fun for certain reasons. If you go into it with the expectation that it's more of a party game, let's pick some of our favorite characters, swing the bat. Now we've got the option to shoot Mario Kart style items. You're, you're shooting turtle shells to turtles. It's a little more comical. It becomes more of a farce. And that's okay in the right environment. But Mario Superstar Baseball, that's, you know, really a purist. It's an enthusiast's game. Yes. The calling question when I, when I first started this conversation with the Mario Baseball, Superstar Baseball for GameCube is, it, it's a, a strategy. This is a thinking person's game. How are you going to set your lineups and it just matters less? It, it pretty much is a much lesser learning curve. And I think that kind of takes the fun out of it. Mm -hmm. Is that there's really not nearly as big as a learning curve. It, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's more of a shallow pool kind of situation yes it's fun but there's just not the depth that you come to expect based on the first game yeah and it was surprising for a lot of reasons because i mean i don't think anyone really knew what else to expect i mean i guess if you were really familiar with the gamecube version maybe they could they could always add more characters and create more stadiums but they really went deep with the strategy that's involved in the game already with the gamecube and it's really hard to go deeper than they did and i think that's they kind of knew that in making the game and realized that the only way to go up was just 
again, creating more stadiums, maybe more storylines that really no one really plays the game for the storyline. Right. To be honest. It had more of a one player mode versus the GameCube game. I mean, it was more so just beat these kind of core captains, recruit their team members onto your team before you face the the final champion, Bowser. Um, You know, it's fun for what it was. Before we wrap today's conversation, Matt, can you give the audience, I don't know if you need to make a nine-man lineup, but just give that those core players that if they're going to go draft a team against an opponent, and this is their first time playing, who do you recommend they target in their draft? Well, I'm a sucker for having people. I don't use the charge-up swings. I really don't believe in that unless it's a player that has just completely raw power, but I don't like sacrificing speed and technique. I really cannot handle errors. You know, uh, and I'll give you the, the prime example right now. For batting, you're batting one out of three, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Fielding-wise, if you're nine out of ten, you're riding the bench. I cannot handle those errors. I So I need the chemistry there. So if I'm going to build a nine right now, I really like Mario in the middle. I really, if I'm going to put any power player, I, I'm a sucker for King Boo. I love Yoshi in the outfield. Uh, kind of my hidden gem is Toadsworth. There's a high learning curve with him having to hit, but if you can time it right, it, he's a guy that just gets hits, and that's all you need to do uh, with it. And he's got kind of a, a magic fielding power. He doesn't make errors. Uh, I like using the Toads because their batting's pretty high, and they you know don't mess up fielding too much. Uh, every now and then, I'll throw Petey Piranha as a power player because he can play first, he can pitch, and you know he's he's not the slowest of the power hitters. So that, that's kind of a general lineup there, but I, I like using some of the Peach core players and I like using the Mario core players as kind of a basis to build a team around and just making sure that the chemistry is not off. I like Boo. I like how his hits can curve along the line for those nice, you know, lazy doubles you can get. He can also bunt well. Yoshi bunts well. All the Toads bunt well. Mario bunts well. You can see what I like to do. I, I like to be able to bunt, put pressure on the team, minimize errors, Keep your defense off the field. That is a winning strategy. Uh, this host is going to do a quick plug. Dixie Kong is another really solid player that I think fits your build. The team that you described, she's got great fielding, can lay down a real mean bunt, um, and actually has a little bit of power in that small bat of hers. She, she does. She can lay down a good drag bunt. And I think the biggest player I just forgot to mention, Waluigi pitching, I don't know. He, he, he's just a godsend. And usually he doesn't have too bad of chemistry and when you're pitching chemistry doesn't matter nearly as much but you can put literally anyone at catcher at that point that's not princess peach daisy or mario i wouldn't waste them at catcher anyway you heard it here folks waluigi is the greg maddox of the bunch matt that was a very comprehensive thorough and fantastic answer that i hope the audience learned a little bit at least and will consider the next time they're looking through a gamecube pile pick up that mario superstar baseball pop it in and just enjoy America's pastime. For your answer, I'd like to award you 715 points. You'll have one more chance coming up in the lightning round to add on to that total. But first, a brief word for these messages. The following skit is for comedic purposes only and does not reflect a sponsorship of the discussed product. The views and opinions expressed by this podcast are not endorsed by the following company. This is not a paid advertisement. This is going to be cliche. Obviously, in these hard times, it's... People aren't going to be eating out nearly as much in a hidden gem of a restaurant that I absolutely love is going to be Bronx Deli on Telegraph Road. The fries are absolutely delicious. The sub sandwiches are absolutely delicious. They have such a wide range of food for you to eat there. 
I pretty much will go on a secret lunch date there with my fiance every chance that I can get. Obviously now that we're working from home and COVID-19 is kind of taking over all of our lives, that's kind of changed, but we still have made every attempt we can to get a carry out there. And I can promise you, you will not be disappointed with what Bronx Deli has to offer. Uh, if it were a Mario baseball character, what would it be? I'd probably award it uh, a PD Piranha. You know, it's got it's got everything you need for power. It can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, it's not the most well-known character on the game. Well, well, well. We are back and we are here in round three, the lightning round. We've had a fine game so far. I've seen what you've done in rounds one and two. I'd like to see what you can do in round three. Are you ready? I am. Here we go. Here we go. The clock is going to begin uh, as soon as I finish reading, and you're going to have 45 seconds to provide your answers. So, Matt, I want you to name all the players you can on the Cubs 2016 World Series roster. We go Anthony Rizzo, uh, Chris Bryant, John Lackey, John Lester, Addison Russell. Jason Hayward, Dexter Fowler, Pedro Strope, Carl Edwards Jr., Wilson Contreras, Miggy Montero, Kyle Schwarber, Matt Caesar. That's uh, spelled S C or S Z C U R. All right, nicely done, Matt. You came away with twelve correct answers on that one. Oh wow! Funny enough, though, Matt Caesar did not appear on the World Series roster, though he was on the Cubs roster that year. And that's a big one. I forgot was Javi Baez. Mm-hmm. Jake Arrieta. Yep. When you're under the bright lights of uh, the lightning round, I understand though you can't grab every one of them. Just getting a starting roster is just getting at least nine. That should suffice. Yeah, and more than sufficed, just like uh, the Cubs' triumphant win over Cleveland in Game 7. No, I just read that book not too long ago about about it. It was actually pretty good. Oh, nice. What's the name of it? Uh, let me actually go hit the title. I'm pretty sure it was called The Cubs' Way. Uh now, of course, I don't see it on the bookshelf now. Yeah, The Cubs Way by Tom Verducci. So he wrote a pretty good book about how the Cubs were able to not only just come back from the 3-1 deficit in there, which, magnificent, by the way. Very underappreciated series, I think, but that's because I feel like it was four years ago and baseball hasn't even started this year. But he kind of just lays out the ground for setting up for the future based off not just talent and hidden gems, but character as well. And obviously, it's just a fantastic piece. If, Anyone's just even a fan of baseball and they're a fan of an underdog and they would appreciate this book. That is a ringing endorsement from a man who scored himself a grand total of 1,885 smag coins. Matt, you uh, have, have wowed the audience with your knowledge and insights today. Let's kick it up on the leaderboard and see where this score ends up. In first, Matt, 1885. Second, Scott, 1870. Third, Alex, 1831. S-M-A-G-S. My name is Matt, and I just got smagged. 